Hola, bienvenidos a otro episodio de Over the Wall Podcast. I am your host, Jocelyn, and I am here today with... Yesenia. And... Diego. And a very special guest, longtime friend, Jadalyn Martinez, who is an avid traveler, writer, and a very beautiful human being. So, Jay, if you want to tell us a little bit about yourself... Thank you for that intro. I am so touched. So yes, my name is Jadalyn Martinez. You can call me Jay. That's a little bit easier. Um, so I'm a Milwaukee native. And after I graduated college, which is actually where Yossi and I met through a program, I went off and I left the U.S. And I went to Spain to teach uh, English in public schools for about three years. And then after that, I decided I wanted to be even more uncomfortable. And I transitioned to Shenzhen, China to teach kindergarten. But obviously, due to the virus and the pandemic, my work was suspended. So I'm back home, um, you know, and I'm really excited to talk with you guys about this important topic in our community. Thank you. Speaking of our topic for today, we are talking about colorism in the Latinx community, um, which we did do an Instagram live on, but we're going to do a bit of a deeper dive um, in with Jay because as we mentioned in our Insta live, we are not Afro-Latinos. And so, you know, we have very limited knowledge of what that experience is really like. Um, so Jay, thank you again for joining us for today. Um, you know, we have a, an outline that we're going to go through. So I don't know where you want to start or what you want to, I guess, tackle first. Yeah. Um, so I think we should probably go into the differences between colorism and racism. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good jumping off point. Um, so definitely, they definitely intersect. I want to be aware of that and everyone to know that. But they are different because colorism usually happens within your own community. So it's this prejudice um, and discrimination against usually darker skin toned people in your own ethnic or racial group. Um, and this preferential treatment towards those in more proximity to whiteness. And so racism is more systematic and institutional, whereas mm -hmm. like someone can deny you a loan or uh, a job because of your race or your ethnicity. Um, and so colorism is kind of in your communities that's the kind of differences that i see i think i think definitely i think echoing like the biggest differences because i think in a lot of communities and even you know when we're talking about colorism and racism i think white people can get very confused about it and there is there is a very there's not a fine line but it's that it is two different things and it impacts communities in different ways. Um, and kind of what you said, it's like that power structure. It's like that power dynamics of those in institutions. And, and I think with colorism, there's like adding a little bit more. We're talking about it in our own communities of what people seem deem or worthy of it's this higher hierarchical color spectrum that people are assigning more or less value to a human um, based off the color of the skin. So I think it's important, you know, as we kind of talk a little bit about that, like how identity valuing of lighter or darker um, skin and everything that we'll talk about, I think really embodies that, that it is hierarchy and it, it's going to impact different people in different levels. And it's just, you know, someone, so it's really like something that someone has assigned value to a human just based off like being black, being brown um, and yeah, being a person of color. So We'll get into that for sure, but I think that was a really good um, way to to acknowledge some of the differences in the way that that interacts in someone in someone's daily life. I think that a good starting point um, is 
the root of where that started. And, yes. you know, a lot, a lot of every Latin country, Latin American country has been colonized. And with that colonization came a racist system that favored the white colonizing powers that took over certain countries. Uh, I don't know, in Mexico, they had the caste system. Uh, and you can find different paintings on this. You can find lots of um, resources on this where you can see like an inclusion of 16 different categories of mixed race people, which gives you a really good window of what how they perceived people of color to be or how they lived and how they dressed. So I mean, I find that really interesting. But at the same time, you know, you can notice that the the darker a person's tone went, they went further down the scale, their clothing seemed to be less Eurocentric, and their socioeconomic scale also seemed to downgrade. Um, so I don't know if anyone wants to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, like you put it out a little bit, like the pictures of that, you can see the like how Eurocentric like the clothing and stuff is. Y luego como más indígena like the lower you get it's like i mean that's what it was built for it's to put people in these the oppressive states of being mm -hmm. where if you're not with the power that be or you're that kind of color or problem i mean i'm pretty sure money also had to do with it um like you're you're not seen as equal as some of the other people so i mean it's it's all one thing um you know kind of there's systematic racism everywhere and it's not just mm -hmm. here it's something that we need to look at um because it is it is everywhere yeah. thanks colonizers <laughs> just cabros pendejos <laughs> so like in 1795 the spanish crown institutionalized the purchase of whiteness through a process called gracias al sacar so what happened was like elite people that were called pardos and mulatos, which was just another word to say, like, mix, mestizo, right, mm -hmm. um, could apply and pay for a decree that could converted them to be white. And this lasted mm -hmm. specifically in Puerto Rico until 1898 when the U.S. colonized them, took over. And I, I would argue it's still happening today with census information and that in 2010 you know i think 76 percent of puerto ricans identified as white where 46 of them or more are of significant african ancestry and so there's still these parallels between a system that was created hundreds of years ago to today of claiming whiteness because it's going to help you Socially, economically, politically. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think, especially in the, the Spanish-speaking Caribbean with Cuba and Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic, there has been a lot of conversations around the denial of our Blackness mm -hmm. when it's so apparent, right? It Physically, you can see and a lot of people, but when you grow up in a place, and even here on the mainland, when you grow up thinking that blackness is negative, that it's bad, and you don't have any positive portrayals of you know, black people's accomplishments, of your ancestors' accomplishments, and only you know, they're putting on a pedestal, 
the Spanish accomplishments, you know, these people who murdered and raped <laughs> and mm -hmm. almost extinguished the indigenous people in Puerto Rico and then brought over slaves. Like, I don't know why we're not having that conversation more and more. And like, why it's okay to accept your whiteness, but it's not okay to accept your blackness or your indigenous root. Why is that negative? And so, you know, when people tell us, you know, get over the conquista, get over slavery. No, I'm not nope. going to get over it because it's still here. It's still affecting us to this day. It is. I think I think that's really I think that's really strong because I think sometimes we find ourselves like like I don't know like if you've ever been in spaces where it's kind of like oh here she goes again here he goes again it's like yes I'm gonna go back back I'm uh I'm gonna go ahead and say the history because that's where it started and we have to acknowledge that that's where it started and that's why it's continuing and that is the root of this like and I think that's just really strong that we can't forget the history part of this and we have to know the history part of this because you know how you're 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 you know you're sharing with us um i i didn't know about this um but you're sharing about how this was working in puerto rico the history of all of this of colorism of racism it did start somewhere and if you're not acknowledging where it started and how it has gone throughout the years then it's hard to understand it now and 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 know that this is something that we still that's so very present and prevalent and 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 I don't know I think I think that history part it, it can't not not be a mm -hmm. part of this it has to be and and I, and I think that really is you know the one of the biggest things to keep pushing everything forward because we have to go back in order to make sure we can mm -hmm. move forward and point out how it's evolved how it's not mm -hmm. the same in nature, right? There isn't still a, a gracias al sacar, right? But there was reclassification, you know, of race. And there's still mm -hmm. this, we're, we're, we're Puerto Rican, we're Mexican, we're XYZ, Latinx community. We're not mm -hmm. indigenous, we're not black. Stop trying to, to separate us. But that's not a separation. Those are mm -hmm. dual and multi-identities that you have that is okay to, be, to have and to be proud of. I think what we're all talking about, like history, um, how people like our history books think that it comes in chapters when really mm -hmm. it's just like a ripple effect that gets bigger and bigger and bigger and more spaced out where we can't see the originating point, like starting point. You know, it's like our history books is like, oh, Civil Rights Act. And now we all live in this post-racist society when that's not true. And very much like with Mexico, you know, we had the revolution. We had our first mm -hmm. indigenous president, Benito. Mm -hmm we're all good now. And it's like, okay, that's not, that's not the case, you know? And I think that it is really important to talk about like history and where a lot of this starts. It's, it's because, you know, we've come to settle in society where we're comfortable because of modern technology or whatever it may be. And we don't see or experience the struggles of, of other people. Like we're very much, I, I don't know if I'm going towards in the right direction with this, but it's like in bubbles, mm. Mm -hmm. you know it's like okay so i like we live in the midwest right and it's like 
like we live in Madison, like Diego and I do, and it's like everything's great, like we're cool. But the people who are the majority, like the white people, don't understand what it's like to be a person of color in just in the city alone, and that's uh, that's causing conflict and strain within our own communities here uh, because of the bubble, because they're not acknowledging the full breadth of the history of where all this originated. Exactly. Yeah, so many feels because I think that was the beginning of like brainwashing us to believe that um, due to our skin tone, due to our features, you know, facial and physical, um, our bodies, you know, we are less than, we are less than them, than the Europeans and the Spanish. And it was so successful. It's still successful, right? Because we still struggle with this, whether it's unconscious or conscious. Um, This idea that the closer you are to whiteness and and systematically, the the better off you are. Um, And so to have this idea perpetuated in our community is heartbreaking, but I feel like it's important to start these dialogues and engage in this conversation and really, you know, call it by its name and not just call people out, but call people in to have a conversation, you know, because that's the only way we're going to get rid of this like white supremacist mindset of, of life. It is. And, and I think how you're saying it goes into the brainwashing and I think we clearly see it and experience it in different ways from everything of like what is considered privilege to self image to um, language that's used. And, and again, I know um, I forgot who mentioned it, but someone mentioned a little bit earlier about like the economic impact and just overall in communities, you see, where you see the you clearly see the differences you see where the black neighborhoods are you see where the brown neighborhoods are you know you have these other neighbor the white neighborhoods like you clearly see like kind of that that separation the segregation physically in our environment on top of it um so i think like that is also like even like another another thing that we do and and i think even like with colorism it goes into let's say if you are a black or brown person like how comfortable do you even feel going into like this white neighborhood because you already know that you're gonna stand out there are gonna be people who for their own racism they feel uncomfortable and and i think that's real i want to ask jay yeah um, go for it so we're, uh, and this is, you're, I'm basically going to ask you the, and where are you from question. <laughs> oh, no. But like, Mexicanos, and like, Yoselina actually didn't tell us much about you besides that you're an awesome person. Yeah. <laughs> That's literally, literally what she said. <laughs> but yeah, like, so what, what's like your, your Afro Latino background? Mm-hmm. So my, I'm first generation Puerto Rican. So my whole family comes from the island and they moved over when my mom was about 13 or 14 years old and they came directly to Wisconsin. Why? I still ask myself that question every day. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, I at this point in time, I feel like we have more relatives on the mainland than the island. Um, you know, and I also grew up with a stepfather who was Mexican and from Jalisco. And so I feel like I had a multicultural household um, and kind of different experiences of like the Latinx community um, for sure. And so, you know, with Afro-Latino, it's, it's, it's a term that is used more 
now and I feel like people are more aware of it, but it's not, it didn't come from just now. Like it's been around um, since the 1900s, you know, in, in movements in Brazil and Cuba to identify as Afro-Brazilian, Afro-Cuban. Again, in the 1970s through research, the term was coined Afro-Latino. And I feel like more so in the 2000s, that's when it started to gain a little bit of more traction, but now we see it like everywhere. Afro-Latino, Afro-Latinx, Afro-Latina. Um, and so, you know, for me growing up in Milwaukee, which is, you know, we know how the U.S. is, but Milwaukee is literally the most segregated city in the United States. Y eso se ve, you know, you notice it. And so growing up was difficult because I always questioned my identity. I didn't really know where I fit in. And no one was really accommodating to tell me, you know, they were just very confused. I was like an ambiguous person. Like I could be from anywhere you know, and so that question comes up a lot of like, where are you from? But where are you really from? You know, and, and when I say Wisconsin, you know, I get the, hmm? and I say Milwaukee, they're like, no. And you know, I know what they want. I want, they want me to tell me where their, my parents are from. Right. Yeah, we, had their a, grandparents. we had a whole podcast about that. Right. And we, we like, I think yes, he likes to fuck with people a lot. I do. And your parents also from there, even though they're not, I don't owe them an explanation. So it's like, oh, they're also from there. What about your grandparents? Also from right. there. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. They like like usually after grandparent, they stop because mm -hmm. they're like, oh no, you're like really from here now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> But like, if you go into my family, thinking about my family, like my grandmother has been here on the mainland for over 20 years, more than that. Her English it just doesn't exist, you know? She knows a little bit here and there and the good <laughs> stuff, you know, the swear words. But other than that, like, you know, she lives in her community on the South side and she's surrounded by Puerto Ricans and Dominicans and Cubans and Mexicans. And so she never felt the need. Mm -hmm. And I don't blame her. <laughs> um, I do not blame her. Um, but, you know, as my mom kind of pushed us out to live in, I guess, better communities, safer communities out of the South side, um, you know, my family started to treat us differently. They would say, oh, you, you act white. Mm -hmm. You talk so white, you know, oh, you think you're a white girl, don't you? And I'm like, I am clearly not that. <laughs> um, and so it was very much like there was a big pride around being Puerto Rican. But then I had this complexity of my stepdad was Mexican. And like, mm -hmm. I was very dominant in our household, like from what we ate to how we even spoke Spanish to what we watched on, you know, yeah. Telemundo, Univision. And so, novelas, right? And so it was, I definitely had both. And so that's kind of how I grew up, but I didn't know what that meant if Puerto Rican was enough to describe who I was. Mm -hmm. It didn't feel like it because I was getting this representation of a Puerto Rican being very light skinned and, you know, mm -hmm. the straight hair, you know, that's what I would see on the, on the news and on, on media images or someone like Jennifer mm -hmm. Lopez, you know, that was Puerto Rican. What I look like, that was not deemed Puerto Rican, like the stereotype or, and certainly not mm -hmm. what was deemed Latino, you know? And so I went through this struggle growing up of like, who am I? Where, where do I identify? What group am I part of? And so it was a lot of people telling me what I was, 
and and my family was very unhelpful as well because they didn't want to associate with race. They wanted to associate more with ethnicity and nationality. Like we're Puerto Rican, even though Puerto Rican is American, but still very proud. We're Puerto Rican. That's what we are. And I was like, that's not enough for me. So definitely there was like a sense of exploration, especially more so when I was an adult and in college, that's where my mind started to open up a little bit more about Mm -hmm. what that actually meant. And if someone like me did really fit into the Latino community as it was, and I didn't feel like I did, but I, I didn't feel like I felt completely in the black community either. So it was like always being in between, like, am I gonna have a seat at this table? or at this table, am I accepted? And so that's something that I've struggled with, I think, a lot of my life. That is okay. a lot of stuff to think about. Definitely. We had the, the whole neither kini the yeah, but neither between, like, the yeah, like, but, but the thing mm-hmm. about, about it is that, you know, we talk about like neither kini the yeah, it's like America versus Mexico. Mm-hmm. But Jay is talking about, mm-hmm. you know, like neither kini the yeah, neither yeah. Yeah. Neither ki. It's, it's, yeah. But you're still working under trying to figure yourself out under like colonizing labels of people. And that should not be the case. Like, like you said, like you're very proud of your heritage and your background. And like that should be enough, whether Americans see it or even like your own family doesn't want to to dig deeper into like, you know, race. Um, And that's just like Mm. there's something that's really sad about that. You know, because our, our community and our society mm-hmm. as, as like Latinos, Mexicans, Puerto Ricans, whatever, like we have been like subjugated to this thought that one way is the only way mm-hmm. and that's acceptable. And everything else is like, oh, we're just going to kind of like hide our, our indigenousness. We're going to hide our Afro-Latinos. Yeah. We're going to other minority groups that live in, in, mm-hmm. in Latin America, you know. Well, you, well, what you're saying and then also what Yessi like added, like the whole like your soul learning we're still learning and I think it's like really prevalent because it's the learning comes in so many different components from anything about like what what identities am I adding to myself to get a more understanding of who I am and where I come from try cultural upbringing with your black identity your Latinx identity which falls with um you know being Puerto Rican and then with your stepdad and growing up in a you know predominantly like Mexican household with like those values showing up a little bit more um what seems to be more more stronger in the in the daily um in that daily function and and I think it goes into one you know thinking about why haven't our families taught us more about who we are and where we come from and then, you know, one one thing, you know, like with and that really popped into my head when I started taking classes at Natwal, um, which is an indigenous language, um, you know, it's spoken from what was, quote unquote, Mexico before from like that Utah area all the way to about like Honduras, Nicaragua. Like that's still something that's spoken all the way to like that central um, part of um, Latin America. And it's interesting because, like, I asked my mom, like, oh, did anyone in our family speak Nahuatl? And it went to, no, like, we don't, like, your grand, my immediate grandparents who were, um, and I'm like, well, did their grandparents speak Nahuatl? Because I was inclined to, like, understand, like, this is part of, like, I was born in Mexico, like, this is, this language is still spoken there. There are indigenous communities. Um, I feel like I don't necessarily right now I don't really under, understand my indigenous um, roots 
And for me, exploring the language was going to be one of them. But, you know, my family doesn't really even know about it. And um, and I think it kind of, you know, we're, we're definitely like proud and Mexican and everything. You know, in the system that we have been living in, the importance of in the culture of, of assimilating from, you know, our parents coming to, to America, a lot of things have been lost. Thing, and I think it's so it's so just prevalent to, you know, what a lot of us are like trying to re rediscover. But it's a lot of what we are trying to bring up, uplift our black and brown communities. Um, but assimilation has gone in the way and assimilation has been a way of survival. So I don't you know, I don't blame anyone for wanting to survive. But but yeah, but I think kind of that whole identity parts like really strong because we do a lot of us want to understand like where we're coming from and everything so um that reminded me of something um so I've been looking into like my ancestry um and I did like a DNA thing and it was like oh I'm there's like 33 percent Spanish which I thought was very high and when I talked to my aunt who's in Mexico and I told her because we've been working on this whole thing together she was like, no, that doesn't seem right. But looking at our family, we're all fairly light-skinned. Like, they called me Prieta. Like, I was considered dark for my mm-hmm. family. If that gives you an idea of the level of whiteness in my family, right? And she was like, no, yeah. that doesn't seem right. Like, we are we should be, like, more indígena. And, like, she's kind of, like, a really good example of, like, not knowing your roots and just kind of, like, the skewed version of ourselves as, like, people of color because of all the colonization, mm-hmm. which, I, which I think, you know, what you said, like, you know, it is rooted in, like, wanting to survive and, like, accepting this part of ourselves, like, a violent part of ourselves that was a dominant culture. Um, so I, I was curious, Jay, mm-hmm. is your stepdad, is he, like, the lighter skinned? Like, Yes, he's he would I would say he's your skin tone unless he was in the sun, (laughs) which he has been recently. So he is, you know, I used to say like Pillsbury white, especially in the winters. Um, (laughs) And so I have an interesting story with that, too. So when I went, I was about 16 years old and we went to visit his family in Mexico and Jalisco. Um, It was our first international trip as a family together. And I remember we, you know, it was a long journey and a lot of layovers and misconnections. And finally, when we got there, it was just like a relief. You know, we're going to go and sleep and rest. And um, it was, you know, my stepdad, my mom and me and my sister. And we are walking out and his family was there to meet us, to greet us and take us. Right. And one of the first things said, I think even before hello, uh, one of the, you know his nephews was like propped on his dad's shoulders and looked at me and my sister and kind of turned his head and said, "Why are they so dark? Por qué son tan negras?" Damn. And I, you know, at that point I, have, I had suffered you know other colorist things said right, but it hit in a different way. So like beyond saying, and I know you're a child, but beyond saying hello or how are you, like that's the first thing that pops mm. in your head is why are they so dark aka why don't they look like you aka why don't they look like us and that has stuck with me when I tell you it has stuck with me I will never forget that and the silence I think even was more violent after that of no one saying anything and just kind of moving into another conversation and not addressing why that was wrong to say 
and to correct that behavior. And I think this is how this continues to be perpetuated, is that these things that are saying, said and people say, oh, they're harmless, you know? It's just mm-hmm. a little thing that I said. It's not. It's colorist and it's wrong. Jay, you should have punched that child. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing illegal in Mexico about punching a child. <laughs> We, we didn't we didn't talk so much after that <laughs> but to think about it too and then looking at his own family which is mm-hmm. a range of colors let me tell you right and i feel like that's a lot yeah. in our community just a range of colors and hues and to have he had cousins who are much darker than me much darker than me but they attribute that to working mm-hmm. in the fields which in part is true but in part that can just be your complexion it was just like, I was like, why are you so concerned about this? You know? And uh, you, you kind of hit it right on the nose there with the whole, like that, that behavior wasn't corrected. And that's what per page, like it, that just lets this like grow and grow and continue on and on. And that's something we definitely have to work mm-hmm. in, work on in all of our yeah. communities. Oh, I was just going to say real quick, like, and I think that I was going to ask you, Jay, so was this the first time that you, that that kid like saw like a picture of you or like I saw like you as a person and didn't see a picture beforehand. I don't know how long ago this was. Yeah. I, I possibly, I'm not really sure because it was such mm-hmm. a big amount of his family that I didn't know that were just showed up at the airport. And so I'm not really sure if he knew what we looked like or if his, if he knew his uncle's wife was Puerto Rican right. and what that even means. Right. Um, so yeah, it was yeah, <laughs> and I, interesting. And I think that points out another it's same thing of like that our idea of someone defaults to someone who's like lighter skinned, brown hair, straight brown hair, you know, um, and like that again, that just shouldn't be something that us as like people of color who mm-hmm. have such a, like like you said, he has a diverse family. He has so many people that have different mm-hmm. shades. Yet the default that he had of you was clearly lighter skinned, mm-hmm. you know, and that's just, it, mm-hmm. it speaks volumes um, in so many ways that you said, but also like you mentioned, like just like this, the silence, like the violence that was found in the silence afterwards as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. The violence in yeah. the silence and the erasure, right? There's so much violence in the erasure in our communities of where we do come from, like Yossi was talking about and knowing our indigenous roots and knowing our African roots that got lost, that got lost such a long time ago. And it's really sad to me that we didn't do more work to reclaim it and find it, but we spent all this time Mm -hmm. praising whiteness, praising its proximity to whiteness, praising speaking Spanish, which is a colonized language, Mm -hmm. praising certain religions that our colonizers brought that appraisal and then that complete erasure of the the real beauty of our culture which are mm-hmm. rooted in in Africa and in, in indigenous you know communities that is violent but you know the work that we're doing to reclaim that i think is really important and i think an mm-hmm. homage to our ancestors snaps backflips yeah, everything <laughs> to that comment. <laughs> um, and I think kind of, you know, something that kind of like popped into my head from like just, you know, everything that was kind of just said right now was that it's unfor- like 
the way that's unfortunate i don't know i don't i don't even know what how to describe it how to word this but when like it, it just doesn't fit into my mind of like do we have to do prep work in order for someone to feel comfortable around a black person around a brown person like like I think kind of it, it kind of hit like that thought came to mind when you Jesse mentioned a little bit about like oh had they seen a picture of you before like okay let's say I was giving a description about a person with like a PH, PhD candidacy um, who has gotten these awards and blah 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 and at that and like I have I give no context so whether if they're like a brown person or a black person and they go into the room and everybody's surprised that they're black or brown but they have such a lengthy excellent like accomplishment that they have done for their communities or whatever it is um but like why is it that someone has to be prepared i guess in order to interact with like someone who might not look like them like that just doesn't i can't comprehend that part of our world there's a sigh of like <laughs> so many i there shouldn't have to be a preparation there should just but then again you look at what's fed to us you know let's move into the media and politics and 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 our culture and what's fed to us and what you know our channels that we have telemundo univision besides ilia calderon and primer impacto do you know what i'm saying i don't i don't see any indigenous representation and then there's one afro latina you know, and people are fed that. And then when we look at telenovelas, let's let's take us three for example. Let me put into perspective. If we were all cast in a in a telenovela, yes, yeah, see, you would likely be the protagonist, right? Yoseline, you would likely be like her assistant or something, or her lost sister or something like that, but not the protagonist. And I would be lucky if I was the maid. And lucky I put in quotations. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and so that's what we're fed. And it's it's not right. It's not the representation of the, the rich and diverse and beautiful Latinx community that we have. It's not representative at all. That is really sad. Because, you know, with the movie Roma, that was such a huge hit. The actress, I'm going to butcher her name. Yalitza Aparicio. <laughs> she got so much kickback from, like, white sickens that were saying like, you know, she's too dark, you know, she's too indigenous, she's embarrassing our country, you know, she's out there being brown and claiming to be Mexican, like, girl, stop, you know, and it was just this, it it really, like, revealed this, like, 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 pulling the cover off of, like, the ugliness of colorism that exists, at at least in, like, you know, Mexico, for sure, 100%. Mm -hmm. Um, But, like, the, the, the preference of beauty standards um in our latinx community mm-hmm. um you know what's considered acceptable and a woman who's very proud to be brown was so upsetting to so many other people who would be considered brown was such a pro- like i don't it's just like mind-blowing that this was an actual thing and that people were mad the way that they were mad you know like she her performance was fantastic you know she's a, an activist you know she's an educated woman yet she it, it was like such a, a, an embarrassment. I was embarrassed as as a Mexican to to come from that society that looked down upon an indigenous person, which we are all a part of. It was just gross. It was just gross. That's gonna start with Ita. 
Honestly, and I think like in, in the Afro-Latinx community, I guess the bigger the example that I could use is Amara La Negra. You know, people were outraged about her and how she was unapologetically Black and also Latina. And, you know, pushing her to prove herself and show pictures from her childhood to, to reaffirm that she was actually Black and Latina. Like, what? <laughs> Like, it just, it blows my mind, you know? It blows my mind. I think that's why it hurts so much. Mm -hmm. Colorism hurts so much because what, why it's wrong and it's, it's upholding white supremacy, but also because it's coming within our own community who is telling us, you don't belong here simply because of the way that you look. You don't belong here, nor there, nor here, you know? And it just has got to end. Like, it's just so absurd and hurtful and violent. But, you know, we have to educate ourselves. We have to talk about it and pretend, you know, pretending it's not there. And this idea, too, um, that, you know, we're all Latinos. And so it just makes us like racially homogenous. You know, we're just this group of people. We're Latino and that's it. You don't need to identify with X, Y, Z. That's not how identity works. It's intersectional, first of all. And you're, that's erasure. There's no need to do that. You can still claim, for mm -hmm. example, your blackness and your Latinx, and you're still very much both. It's not either or, but often we're, you know, we're, we're pushed to pick. You are this or that. You have to be in this perfect little category for people to understand and to value you. Yeah. Okay. Unpack that liberation of politics, Jana Lynn. So there was an, also another, like, incident, like, ahorita que trajiste el Roma into play, allá uh, en Brasil. Um, what was the, la, era reina de qué? Um, Rio de Carnaval. It's like a globalesa carnival contest. So they yeah. pick a queen. And um, that was, that, that, this was this year? No, this was right? back oh, in, was in 2013. Yeah, some years ago. Yeah, so 2013, um, Nayera Justino, a uh, black Brazilian, was voted by most of the public. It's a public vote, which is also the fucked up part. So they're voted by the public and they won Nola, uh, mm -hmm. the throne, the reina. And then the public, the, the public <laughs> decided that, okay, they won, pero también está muy negra. And mm. it's like, están pendejos o qué? Sí. Like, you guys voted for this person. This is who you chose. Y ahorita le van a quitar su título mm. for like una pendejada. It's it's obviously it shouldn't be this way, and it sucks that it is. Mm -hmm. But like they replaced um, Nayara with uh, someone whiter, someone like me, who is more palatable in the Afro Latinx community. Someone who's lighter, who has looser curl texture. That's more palatable. Yeah, but it's like. I think it kind of like just demonstrates like it demonstrates how people people aren't ready to to acknowledge their racism within their own communities. It shows that people aren't ready to give black and brown people places that they should already have where places that they should already be at the table. It just shows the lack of of readiness and of our reality of like calling out racism in our communities it just demonstrates that flat out like you voted and then you're taking it back but like and coming know. from brazil like situating brazil right 
which has the largest black population after Nigeria, okay, to still not accept it. And they have, you know, research has showed over 136 terms for color and hue, but I'm sure there's more than that. But that's what's documented, you know, to distinguish yourself and feel better about yourself, but also have more access, you know, have more upward mobility because of what you look like, how your hair texture is, is like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. But it's a reality. I mean, basically what they, what they did to this person, it's like, they hicieron un blancamiento, but they erased them completely mm-hmm. with somebody else. That's what happened. And and I think even, even like, you know, you just said there's like 300 and... 36 different terms to describe like our skin color like our skin color becomes a loaded significance of our identity and like our value yeah and our weapon um and I don't know like off the top of my head like I don't even think I could you know I think we have also in our own language have restricted it to you know la negra la morenita la trigueñita um prieto prieta mm -hmm. Like, and they all have, you know, just been used and not always used in like the positive light. And even when we speak about language, like language is loaded and we don't we we don't know the significance. I think we've talked a little bit about, you know, how we view have we have you. Well, um, yes, I know you said you definitely haven't, but have used the word like Indio, like before realizing really what Indio meant. And I learned a little bit more Um about how I can, you know, how I'm perpetuating um, colorism and assigning value by using the word indio. Like, yeah, I'd use it in the form of like, I stay indio, like, oh, he's dumb, like he did something stupid. But what am I saying about a whole ass community who identifies as indigenous, you know, like, like that, like my values aren't there to call a whole community. I call this one person, but I'm like, that speaks way louder because I'm, there's a whole, ba- there's a whole community, mm-hmm. you know, um, so I think like our language too is something like super important. Um, the tone, like as well, yeah, can tell beyond the word the tone and the way someone says those words, what they mean, what they mean. Like ese moreno, ese indio, you know. You can hear the the hate, the other, you know. I think too, you know, and there comes the. The debate too where you know there there are some of these words are you know they say they mean well it's like a, a term of endearment right but again what i said with the tone and the context like you were just mentioning matters and also i've noticed um in the latinx community that oftentimes when we're talking about people of other races or we identify as other right you put the ito after and that matters yes. because that's infantilizing the person. That makes them like not like they're defenseless, like they're less than you, the adult, the person in charge. Ese negrito, mm-hmm. ese chinito, ese morenito, ese, you know? It's intentional. And people will still argue and say, no, no, it's that's how I say it. Or, oh, no, 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 that's the term of endearment. But it's just like, we need to analyze this. Like, is it really? It's not really. I think there's a lot of phrases that we have or way of speaking that really sh- like show, again, how we mm-hmm. feel. Like when we have sayings like mejorando la raza, you know, like encouraging girls to date lighter skinned men so that their babies could 
hopefully, quote unquote, come out lighter skin, mejorando la raza, you know? Um, and I don't know if, if guys get the same feedback. I'm sure that they do. But I know like my cousins, like I've, I've heard some people like say that to their kids in my family. I, I have family members who have said, no te juntas con un prieto, pero un dominicano está bien. And in my head, I'm like, there's no difference. It's the same. And that's wrong. Don't say that again. And you're not also, you're not going to tell me who I'm going to date, you know. But it's just like that mentality of like darker skin tone and the association with that is that it's criminal or lazy or do you know? Those associations, those negative connotations. Absolutely. And I think that also we see that in like beauty a lot, like women specifically, you know, um, like lightning creams are very popular. Um, They're very damaging to to people's skin, but it's still like a sold product that we have in our communities. Um, Very popular products that we have um, have been on the shelves for years and years and years. It's okay, though. They remove the whitening part from the label oh good <laughs> it's fixed <laughs> problem solved let's just skin lightening creams and also uh relaxing creams for your hair mm. so a girl my mom and my aunts it's just something that we did they all insisted that you relax your hair so it was less curly it was more straight more eurocentric and all of my family telling me especially the women, you know, you look so beautiful with your hair straight. You look so much better like that. You should straighten more. And it was a process. It would take hours. You know, my aunt had to take a break in between and eat a meal and then continue to, to straighten my hair, right? But I got to a point where, you know, I think my mother did a relaxer on me and then she was going to do it again. And I said, no, you know, I don't want to do that. And I must have been like maybe 12 years old. I said, no, I don't want to do that anymore. And she said, once you start, you have to keep going. And I said, no, this is my hair on my head. That's that's how it's going to stay. And I didn't realize how powerful I was in that moment and what that meant. You know, not that my mom was trying to hurt me or anything, but she was raised to believe, and so was I, that Euro standards of beauty are better. And you need to do what you can to get closer to that. Damn. That's <laughs> real. And, and I think, you know, I think that, it's kind of like, I mean, and like talking about like the daily colorism, like acts of violence. Um, yeah, like easily, you know, like I, like I, I don't have that experience of going into like maybe even going into like a hair salon and being like, oh, we don't work with your type of hair. Like, you know, that's not my reality, but I know that's a reality of a lot of people and people who have shared that, you know. Um, and I think like acknowledging this component too of like those daily colorism. Um, acts of violence like they're there and they're here and I think that that's why this is so important to talk about because there's a lot of things besides our system not working for us that are in our very daily life whether it's within our own families to just the world that we interact Mm -hmm. with and two I also have to recognize just as you recognize that you don't you don't have that experience right going into the hair salon and being told I don't know what to do with your hair I also can't compare myself to even darker Afro-Latina who has coarser hair because their experience is going to be different than mine. And the discrimination is going to be higher because if we look back to the caste system, if white, white, white is at the top, well, guess what's at the bottom? Black, black, you know, and that, that narrative needs to change. And I think we're having a lot of conversation, right? 
and movement with Black Lives Matter, you know, but this is just been a problem for hundreds of years. To continue moving the narrative of anti-blackness and anti-indigenous into a completely different different light. Yeah, I mean, it's and it's it's been like this for so long that it's not going to be an overnight process. And some people, and we talked about fake allyship yesterday. Some of those people think it's going to be like a couple of days, months, (laughs) maybe a couple of years tops, but no, it's going to be an ongoing process for a very long time. It's been instilled in us for fucking centuries. Mm -hmm. It's going to take some fucking time to get it out. Mm -hmm. And I think it starts Mm -hmm. with an individual re-examining themselves and trying to decolonize their mind because you really do need to sit with yourself because all of us have been affected by white supremacy all of us and there are things that we think about you know like i used to think about when i was younger that i wish my nose was smaller or my lips were smaller or my hair was more manageable and i didn't realize that that was anti-black and that was anti-me that i was i had self-hatred and that is something that a lot of people experience, especially the darker tone that you are, because that's what's perpetuated and told that it's not beautiful. It's not intelligent. It's not worthy. And I want to destroy that. We need to destroy that narrative. Burn it to the ground. Burn it. Burn it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, in, in our society as well, like you see to kind of loop back to some of the um, like wording, mm-hmm. um, you know, Bimbo is a huge company. Um, sell lots of like baked goods and they had for a long time a delicious treat called negrito and i don't know if you're familiar with it if you saw it when you went to mexico no, I didn't. thank goodness because <laughs> it is incredibly problematic and i don't know if you want to just like quick google it right now if you want you don't have to you can just live in complete bliss from now on <laughs> complete bliss let me just google it and see what else we got here Oh, no. Yes. And this is like a very popular treat. So like kids can go in with their change from el pan, can go get a negrito. And so that normalizes children to start using that that like verbiage and to associate it with the packaging, like Mm -hmm. the old packaging and even like the new packaging, quote unquote, like, you know what it still means. Mm -hmm. Why not change the name altogether? (laughs) Change the whole thing. And the animation of a white boy with an afro ain't life grand y'all and i think like that in itself too i think like one of the other one well not one of the other one of the issue one of the issues too within like colorism i know earlier we were you know we were talking a little bit about features too um and the way that you know that mean like acknowledging everything that i am not i am not a black man so the what comes with being like a black man, a brown man in in the world, um, you know, I I I will never know that that hate towards towards a black towards being a black uh, man, a brown man. The you know the way that people simply could just fear you by going into a room. That's the hugest thing about accountability right now, like holding people, you know responsible for their actions because these are actions of violence actions of racism oppression the system just doesn't work for us no i mean obviously people should be a helicopter for their actions 
we've never all we have not always like ourselves been this educated and this knowing Mm -hmm. so like we should also hold not only should we hold other people accountable for their actions we should mm-hmm. hold ourselves accountable as well yeah, absolutely i don't think it's, it's it's not just on holding everybody else accountable we got to do it to ourselves, ourselves mm-hmm. and our communities and the people we're with and our families someone says something fucked up call them out it's like educating yep. yourself and educating others I know it's hard work and I know it's emotionally and mentally draining, but someone has to do it. And if it's not you, it's just going to continue, you know, the same fucking way. Like calling people out, but calling them in to, to have a conversation, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, unless they're completely, just completely dismissive and keep being belligerent and wild, then I think you have the right to, especially, um, black identifying indigenous identifying to step away and be like this isn't nah Mm -hmm. like there's plenty of resources to be searched and to be read and to be understood and so i think that this you know dialogue and this these conversations and this accountability you know has often been put on black and indigenous people to defend their value and their life and that needs to that needs to switch that needs to be changed mm-hmm. because people are tired they're exhausted and they're trying to find joy too in life you know yeah and you can always punch a nazi in the face <laughs> you are correct <laughs> yeah no but that's a, that's a really good point where you know we have to every day try to challenge people's ideas of what a Latino person is an indigenous person Afro Latino Asian Latino whatever it may be and yet we also have mm-hmm. to, like, there's a level of expectation from white people to educate them, you know, and it could be something as simple of like, people have asked us, like, what can I do to help? It's like, I'm like Google it, like, <laughs> things are out there, read about it, give it a try, you know, like, I'm still being asked to do part of the work on behalf of people of color. Um, and, and like you said, it's not something free that- labor. Mm-hmm. yeah exactly like you already expect us to do xyz for you here's this other thing that you're getting and then they get to listen to you without doing the work and then they don't even have to think about it again they're like oh mm-hmm. i heard what you had to say thank you you know and like it's just like emotional labor that we are expected to do mm-hmm. for sure that's true yeah those it's, it's just you look back at colorist things that are said racist things that are said and in the moment you're 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 so upset and like you just can't understand right and sometimes you even feel powerless to even say anything right and then you look back years later and you're like fuck like people really believe that or people think that's okay to say that Mm -hmm. to believe that to perpetuate that in your own community you know, and I think that goes in line too with people at Black Lives Matters protests put putting signs like Latinos for Black Lives, Asians for mm-hmm. Black Lives, which I think is well intentioned, but it's erasure mm-hmm. because you're saying that those people don't exist in our community and they do. And 
And I, th- yeah, and I think one thing I, I'm really loving from the conversation is like the exposure for the word erasure because I think that that is really prevalent in everything that we have been talking about. There has been erasure, and that's why right now we are fighting to go ahead and um and uplift and up bring a lot of what shouldn't have ever been erased. Um, anything from you know everything from the systems that we interact in to the way that, you know, we are assigning value in this, like, in, in this colorism, um, like, array of who we are, what we are, where we come from, language in our communities and outside of our communities. And it's, and it's really, it's just the per- one of the perfect words to keep using in this because there has been that, that, erasure that has been intentional and then there also has been you know um what has also been done in order to survive as a human in in the land um and i think it's just it's a time where we 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 can't just continue to survive like that's just not working for us anymore and it doesn't have to work for us um because it's just wrong and, and I don't know, I think that that is definitely, you know, what has been, in, what is really broadcasted in talking about colorism, mm. because the color, the colorism is one, one thing. And then there's a whole laundry list of what we could keep talking about where colorism impacts us and impacts our communities. Mm. Um, and it's real. Um, Jay, mm-hmm. if I can ask. You know, your story about, you know, overhearing the conversation when you were Mm -hmm. in college, what is what is people's reaction when, you know, I don't know, like they've realized (laughs) that you speak Spanish or they realize that you're Afro Latina, like, like, like what? I'm just very curious. (laughs) So it's been a mixed, mixed reaction. Mostly it's out of like. I think, honestly, if I didn't speak Spanish and I didn't speak it so well, I wouldn't be accepted at all in the community, I think. And I believe that because that is the the only affirmation I can really give them. I can say I'm Puerto Rican and that my family is from Puerto Rico and that is very true. But to them, it's like, mm, okay. And then I start speaking in Spanish. Oh, Wow. Your Spanish is so good. Where did you learn that? Mm-hmm. You know, and and that is also something um, that it happened to me in Spain a lot. Where they were like, very confused by me, confused. Mm. And um, mm-hmm. always asking me the where are you really from question. And being unsatisfied with it, you know just being unsatisfied until I got down to my family is from Puerto Rico. Oh, I see it now. Yeah. I thought you were Dominican or, or Puerto Rican or Cuban or something like that. You know, you look like it, but cause your Spanish is just so good, you know, and to all the people who are so set on claiming their Spanish heritage, their Spaniard heritage, trust me, honeys. When I say I have lived there for three and a half years, they are not claiming us. Okay. They aren't. They we are other. 
And even if you look mm. like them, even if you're light and fair like them, the moment they hear your accent from Colombia, Honduras, Mexico, you are other. Okay, so I think we need to reevaluate what we're claiming and taking so much pride on, but er erasing other big parts of us. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, even in language exchanges, uh, again, with the questions of who are you, where are you mm -hmm. from? Um, I was explaining to this man that I was Puerto Rican, but, uh, you know, I considered myself black. I'm Afro-Latina. And he's like, you're not black. You're tan. <laughs> and I was, that's the, the conversation where you just got to shut it down and be like, listen, adios. I don't have time for your foolishness today. I've had a Damn. crazy life, guys. I don't know if you know, but I have it. <laughs> it sounds amazing. Like it should be on, like it should be made into like a book or a movie. And, and I think, and this is just more like a common, not like a, we have to go off of it, but I think it's just really. Like, I think being able to have those experiences, I think, really open up your eyes even more to that this isn't working for us and that th there needs to be change. Because I think sometimes we're just so comfortable in, and again, what you were saying, being in our culture, continuing to teach and just live the way that we do without acknowledging our communities and I don't want to say like acknowledging the other because it's not the other acknowledging our communities that's like the fact of it that we're just so comfortable and I think a lot of these experiences you know being able to to you know what I what I think you know or assume um correct me if I'm wrong but I think it even it shows us even more of what we already know mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it I think it just you know broadcasts it like that it happens here and it happens everywhere and it's going to keep happening to black and brown people anywhere they go anywhere and it's global yeah. it's transnational it has no borders white supremacy is everywhere anti-blackness is everywhere anti-indigenous is everywhere uh, i can go on and on you know this is not a particular to the u.s this is everywhere and so what has to happen we need to address it everywhere definitely a problem with this topic it's everywhere and we can go on and on and that's the problem <laughs> yeah um, i don't think so i just think that you know i think we do have to acknowledge that although there is a lot of ignorance and you know lack of understanding in history there also is this movement of being more aware being more educated um and wanting to engage in these dialogues and listen not attack but listen and and you know, not invalidate people's stories. These are people's lives. Like, and, you know, acknowledging too, Afro-Latino, even though the term is now more popular or, you know, uh, it, it, Black people have been here <laughs> since forever and they've been in our community for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so I don't want to like, this is not a new thing. It's just more prominent, I guess. Um, you know, and in Puerto Rico too, they're they're trying to push people on the census, for example, to identify as black or at least um, an Afro descendant, um, to acknowledge that and to allocate, you know, more resources into the communities that need it. Well, thank you so much for Jadalyn joining us today, sharing a little bit about your life, your experiences, and affirming a lot of what we're working towards as a community. 
Um, we really appreciate you and everything that you were able to, you know, talk about today. And, you know, I hope we continue having some of the, more and more of these conversations for sure. Um, you know, and everything that you are doing. Just thank you so much for, for being here with us today. Thank you all for creating the space and for listening to my story. And hopefully other people can hear it and kind of just try and decolonize their minds and move forward because it's just we can't not do that anymore. Absolutely. Snaps to that. All those snaps. All the snaps. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for listening to another episode of Over the Wall podcast. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher and Google Play. Subscribe, rate, and review our podcasts. Send us an email to overthewallcast at gmail.com.